God has a part to play helping us experience freshness in our lives. It's not all left up to Him. We have a part to play in accomplishing that. This message is the second in the series, Fresh. The message is entitled, Start a New Season, Part 2. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. Grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles chapter 34. In just a moment, we're going to be in verse 33 if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. We started last weekend a series of messages entitled Fresh, and I want to continue that theme this weekend and also the theme of the particular message that we started last weekend. I want to talk to you about starting a new season in your life and how do you start a new season. As I was preparing in the summer for the upcoming fall, because for us as a church family, fall is kind of a kickoff time of the year, kids going back to school and all kind of ministry sort of beginning up after a somewhat of a summer break, uh, I was praying, God, what would you speak to us as we're starting in September together as a church family? What is the word that you want us to experience and to hear from you? And very clearly, as I was praying and preparing, again, this was probably the latter part of June, God began to speak one word into my heart, and that was the word fresh. That God said, I feel like for us as a church family, I want to bring some times of refreshing to my people. I'm in for that, aren't you? And I was so thrilled to hear those words or that word fresh because fresh is a wonderful thing. I love fresh things, don't you? Especially if you've been going through an unfresh season, it's great to hear the word fresh. If you've been in a place in life where you feel kind of dry or weary or soiled or spoiled by life circumstances or situations, it's great to know that your life can be refreshed. And the God of the Bible is a God of freshness. He wants you to experience freshness, not just occasionally, but He wants you to live in an atmosphere of freshness. Now, for us to live in an atmosphere of freshness in relationship with God, whether it be our personal relationship with Him, our marriage and family life, our work life, our friendships, our ministries, whatever it might be, if we're going to stay in a fresh place with God, there's some things that we have to do. See, freshness, while God brings it, He brings it in response to things that we do. That is, there's some things that you and I have to do if we're going to experience what God wants to do. While God is the God of freshness, He will only bring freshness when you begin to line up your life and make some choices that are consistent with what brings freshness to you. I'll say it this way. If you will do what you can do, God will do what only He can do. If you'll do what you're supposed to do in the natural realm of seeking freshness from God, God will come and do what only He can do in the supernatural realm of your life. And so what we want is supernatural freshness, which means we have to take some steps in our journey. We have to make some choices along the way. And I, I want to take you back as we started last weekend with a focus on a man in the Bible by the name of Josiah. And Josiah was one of the kings of Judah. And for us to understand uh, something about Josiah, I need to give you, again, a little bit of a history lesson so you'll understand what's going on with the life of this, this, this young man and how God used him. Very important. God used Josiah not only to experience freshness himself, but to bring freshness or revival to an entire nation. Israel started out as a nation uh, with their first king. I'll just write it here, Israel, as a united kingdom. Under Saul, King Saul was the first king of Israel, and after a period of time, Saul messed things up, and David becomes the king after Saul passes away. After David passes away, Solomon becomes the king, and after Solomon passes away, there's this intense struggle that happens in Israel. 
There's been a united kingdom till this point in time, but at this point, after the death of Solomon, there's a battle between two individuals, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and there's a split. There is a warfare that happens. There's civil war, and the nation splits in two. There's the northern kingdom, and there's the southern kingdom. Sound familiar? North and south. North and south continues to be referred to as Israel. The north, I should say, begins to, continues to be referred to as Israel. The south is known then as Judah. And over a period of time, both of these now separate nations have kings that rule over them. And that's why in your Bibles you will have First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. But because these books of the Bible describe the sequence, the succession of kings, both for the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. Over a period of time, because of wickedness and idolatry, and it was horrible in the north, at least initially, and God begins to warn these kings of Israel over and over again, and the people of Israel, if they don't change, they're going to actually be wiped out. They they refuse to listen to the prophets, and eventually what happens is that the northern kingdom is wiped out by a group called the Assyrians. The southern kingdom, Judah, continues for a period of time, and they're falling prey to idolatry as well, and God sends prophets to them. And as the kings continue down through succession, God warns them over and over again, if they don't change, their fate is going to be the same fate that, the, that Israel will have. It will be God will use a different instrument. It will not be the Assyrians. It will be the Babylonians, but there's this warning that God gives them. In the sequence of kings, I'm going to now move us forward in the sequence of kings to highlight just a few of those kings. Down throughout history, there comes on the scene a king of Judah by the name of Hezekiah. Does anybody remember Hezekiah from reading in the Bible? You do probably. Many of you do. Hezekiah was one of the kings of Judah, and he was a good guy. He, in many ways, he did a lot of good things for Israel, he lo- for Judah. He, he loved God at some level. He made some mistakes in his life, but he was, a, he was a fairly good guy, a guy that had some honor for God and commitment to God. Hezekiah minister or his kingdom ruled during the time of a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And so Isaiah was a contemporary of Hezekiah, ministered during that time. Following Hezekiah, his son took over the throne and his son was named Manasseh. Manasseh was extremely evil. I don't have time this week to talk to you about that. You can go back and review last weekend's notes, and you'll see that we talked about the evil nature of Manasseh. He set up all kind of idols throughout Judah. It was a terrible time in the spiritual history of Judah, and so he is a very, very bad guy. And so when you think of Manasseh, in fact, the Bible says no one ever was like him that led Israel astray, that led Israel into sin. So Manasseh is like the epitome of bad kings, very, very, very evil. He reigns for 29 years. He's on the throne. I'm sorry, he's on the, uh, Hezekiah is 29 years on the throne, and Manasseh is on the throne 55 years. That's a long time to have a bad guy on the throne, isn't it? 55 years, he's ruling. Manasseh has a son named Ammon, and Ammon is just as evil as his dad. He does a lot of bad things as well, but he doesn't hang around very long. After two years, he is assassinated. 
He's put somebody assassinates him and removes him from the throne. And after Amnon dies, Ammon dies, then we have the next king that shows up, a young man by the name of, can you see that down there? What is it? Josiah. Okay. When Josiah became the king, this is a very important time in Judah's history. Josiah became the king when he was eight years old. Anybody want to be a king when you're eight? Any, any of you have eight-year-olds? Okay. Do you want them ruling a nation? I don't think so. They don't even rule your family, right? But here's this guy. He's eight years old. He becomes the king. And so for a period of time, obviously, there are other people that are making decisions for him because he's a young man. But when he turns 16, the Bible says that something happens in Josiah. He, of his own accord, begins to seek God. He has something that stirs inside of him. That's important to realize he didn't get that example from his dad. He didn't get that example from his granddad. Perhaps he had some history related to his great-grandfather that stimulated this desire to seek God in him. We don't know, but at 16 years of age, this young man, Josiah, begins to seek after God. Young people, it's ne- you're never too young to seek God. Amen? God can use a young person. And so here he is seeking God at 16. By the time he's 20, His relationship with God has grown to such a degree that he's actually cleaning out the land of Judah of all the idols. He's going through the land, sending people through the land, getting rid of all these idols that Manasseh and Ammon had allowed to develop, the idolatry that had developed throughout the land of Judah. He's cleaning the land up, and by the time he's 26, something happens. He says, you know what, we started cleaning the land, but nobody's paid attention to the temple. And what had occurred was Manasseh had brought in all kinds of idols into the temple where God should have been worshipped, and Manasseh had allowed all these idols to come in to be worshipped in the temple. And so the temple was a mess. I mean, it was filled up with all these pagan gods, and and God Jehovah was not being worshipped any longer. It was a mess. And so at 26 years of age, this young man said, we're going to do something about this temple situation. And he sent his, his assistant, one of his secretaries, Shaphan, he sent him to Hilkiah, the high priest, in the temple and said, we've got to clean this mess up. And so Shaphan and Hilkiah and all the Levites and the priests there began the process of cleaning out the temple. And as they're cleaning out the temple, over a period of time, they discovered something. They discovered in the rubble of the temple, they discovered the book of the law. They discovered the Bible. For almost six decades, 57 plus years, there had been no Bible in the land. In fact, Manasseh had removed the law from anyone's uh, access, and there, was, there happened to be one copy of the law hidden away in the temple, and Shaphan and Hilkiah discovered the Bible, and Shaphan began to read this Bible, this book of the law, the first five books of Moses. He began to read it and said, my goodness, we're in trouble, because he looked at what the Bible said and how the culture was living, and he said, we've got a problem. I've got to take this to the king. And so Shaphan took this to the king, and the king had to make some decisions as to how he would respond. Now, I want you to go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse number 33, and I want you to read this together with me because this sort of lays the foundation for what Josiah is going to do. Let's read it aloud and loudly together. Here we go. 
Josiah did a thorough job of cleaning up the pollution that had spread throughout Israelite territory and got everyone started fresh again, serving and worshiping their God. All through Josiah's life, the people kept to the straight and narrow, obediently following God, the God of their ancestors. Here's what I want you to see. The decisions that Josiah made in response to being exposed to God's law or exposed to the Bible was a response that resulted, notice there in your verse again, it got everyone started, what? Fresh again. Say it with me. It got everyone started fresh again. So what Josiah did got everyone started. So would you agree with me? We need to know what Josiah did, right? Because if what Josiah did got everyone started fresh again, if we want to get started fresh again, we've actually got an example in the Bible that shows us how to get a fresh start in our lives, right? That's who Josiah is. He started everybody fresh again. So we've got, we've got someone, we actually have a model that we can look at that teaches us lessons for how we are to respond. Now, the first thing we talked about last week that allowed the people of God to get started fresh again is, was the fact that Josiah got back to the Bible, right? That was the beginning point. And as I mentioned last weekend, if you want to have freshness in your life, you've got to first get, come on, help me out, you've got to get, got to get back to the Bible. If you want a fresh marriage, how does your marriage get fresh? You get back to the Bible. If you want to have fresh friendships, what do you have to do? You've got to get back to the Bible. What does the Bible say about friendships? If I want to be better on my job and learn how to fulfill the occupation or profession that God's called me to do, I have to get back to the principles of the Bible. If I want to have a deeper relationship with God, I've got to get, I have to get back to the Bible. So the beginning point and the first thing, number one thing that we talked about last weekend, is if you want to experience freshness, you have to get back. Excellent. You guys are doing great. That's why we started 60 days back to the Bible. A very simple devotional. I understand it's a simple devotional. But the, the goal is to get everybody reading at least one or two verses from the Bible every day and reflecting on them for your own life. How does this word, how does this passage apply to me? Because what I want to do as your pastor is I want you to experience from God freshness. And what I know from the Bible, if you're going to be fresh, you've got to get back to the Bible. That's where it begins. Now, that's not the only thing that Josiah did. I'm going to take you now today to two other things that Josiah will do that will prove to us uh, the pathway of getting back to a place of freshness. The next thing that you have to do, and exactly what Josiah did, is you're going to have to, getting back to the Bible, you're going to have to do some U-turns. You've probably been like me before, going somewhere on a journey, and you realize you're going the wrong way, you're not on the right road, you're heading in the wrong direction, you should be going west, you're going east, should be going north, you're going south, vice versa, and you realize at some point in time, I've got to find a place to turn around. You ever been there before? I'm going the wrong way. I've got to find a place to turn around. Or maybe you have that infamous voice 
on your GPS when you're going the wrong direction and the, the, the little the voice comes on and says something like this, rerouting, find the next U-turn, make a U-turn. U-turns are extremely important because if you don't make U-turns when you need to make U-turns, you will continue down a road that will lead you where you really don't want to be. So U-turns are valuable. It turns you back in another direction. A U-turn is simply this. You're going this way, and you say, you know what? This is not the right way. I'm going to now go that way. And what we see in Josiah's life is that Josiah actually made some U-turns. He didn't just get back to the Bible. Once he got back to the Bible, he realized the Bible told him some things about his life, and the Bible exposed some ways he was living that were the wrong ways. And so the Bible made him aware of things that he wasn't aware of before. And he said, oh, we've got to do a you turn. I've got to respond to what the Bible says, and I need to go in a different direction. Now, notice, if you will, what the Scripture says about this in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 11. When the king, that's Josiah, heard what was written in the book, what book is it? The Bible, okay? When the king heard what was written in the book, God's revelation, what did he do? He ripped his robes in dismay. So as soon as he reads this Bible or hears it read, he says, my goodness, we're in trouble. And he actually rips his royal robes. That was symbolic of something that was going on in his heart. It was an outward rending or tearing of his royal robes to indicate the fact that he was concerned about something where? In his heart. Look at verses, verse number 13, 2 Kings 22. This is what he says now. Go and pray to God for me and for this people, for all Judah. So after he rips his robes, he says, now go and pray for God, to God for me and for this people, for all Judah. For Find out what we must do in response to what is written in this book that has just been found. God's anger must be burning furiously against us. Our ancestors haven't obeyed a thing written in this book, followed none of the instructions directed to us. So uh, Josiah says, boy, I, I, this is terrible. He rends his robes, tears them, and says, we've got to do things differently. We've been messing up big time. And what I want you to see here, very important word, because it, it, it really is all about U-turns, Josiah experienced something called repentance. Say that word with me. Repentance. Today's message is all about repentance. And for the next few moments, I want us all to hopefully willfully, willingly and with a sense of faith about doing so, crawl up on God's operating table. And let God today begin to take the scalpel of His Word and the scalpel of the Holy Spirit and to begin to cut back some things in our life and to help us to understand the value of repentance. Because I will tell you that if you're going to experience freshness in your life, it's not enough to get back to the Bible. You can read the Bible all day long and just reading the Bible is not going to bring freshness to your life. It is the beginning point, but if the Bible doesn't bring you to some U-turns, 
If the Bible doesn't bring you to some places where you say, you know what, wow, I'm seeing stuff that I didn't see before, and I need to make some changes in my life, I need to experience repentance. If the Bible is not doing that for you, then you haven't learned what the Bible is all about. And so today, we're going to get up on God's operating table, and you might feel a little bit miserable for a few moments. But sometimes feeling miserable for a few moments is worth it for a lifetime of blessing. Amen? And so let's let God operate on us. And I want to talk to you for a few moments about this whole idea of repentance. What is repentance all about? What does the word mean? We hear it from time to time, sometimes in a a jocular way. People talk about the word repentance. But we must understand, what does the Bible really mean? And to understand repentance from God's word, you have to understand that repentance, this whole concept, is made up of component parts. Repentance is not just one thing. Repentance is a multiplicity of things. Repentance is is made up of component parts. There are at least four parts to repentance. You can't repent without doing at least four things. The first thing that's necessary for repentance, you have to have a personal awareness of sin. When Josiah was reading the Bible or having it read to him, and he rends his clothes, he rends his royal garments, why did he tear his robes? Because there was this moment, this incredible awakening moment, where Josiah realized, I'm in trouble, I'm, I'm aware of my own sinfulness. And in your life and my life, until we're conscious, aware of the error of our ways, we'll never start the process of repentance. It's extremely important to be able to recognize this is where I'm going wrong. If you don't realize that you're on the wrong road, you'll never make a turn to the right road. How sensitive are you in your life to the wrong ways that God might be trying to get your attention concerning? What, what wrong ways, Pastor? Well, it might be a, a wrong set of habits or behaviors that are in your life that God says, you know what, this isn't lined up with my word. This is not how I want you to live your life as a Christian believer. It might be a wrong set of attitudes because, by the way, sin is not just a matter of what you do. It's sometimes a matter of the attitudes of your life. It might be a wrong set of thoughts that you have and are carrying around inside of you. It could be your thinking, your attitude, your behavior. I don't know what it is for you. It's probably some combination of all those things in your life. But when we begin to lay our life over the the, the truth of Scripture, we will begin to see If we are sensitive to God's Holy Spirit and to the Word, we'll begin to see some things about ourselves that we need to see. And sometimes it's not easy to do that. Anyone remember the King David? David was a great king of Israel, second king of Israel, but he messed up big time, didn't he? Anybody remember what David did? David committed adultery with Bathsheba. After committing adultery with Bathsheba, as though that was not enough, he actually lied about it. And not only did he lie about it, but he has her husband put to death, killed. So he's a liar, he's an adulterer, he's a murderer, right? So this is bad. But David didn't even understand it for a period of time. For an extended period of time, David didn't get how badly he had messed up. He didn't even understand it for a period of time until God sent a prophet to him by the name of Nathan. And finally, when Nathan shows up, David comes to this personal awareness of his sin that wakes him up to repentance and refreshing. Let me show you what happens here in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Here's the prophet Nathan coming to David. 
Why did you despise the word of the Lord by, by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of, of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. There is Nathan the prophet confronting David the king with his sin. He has to confront him because David has not yet realized the, that he has sinned. Now, let's take a note here of what happens next. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 13. Let's see David's response. Then, an important word that is after Nathan's confrontation, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned. I've sinned against the Lord. There he recognizes for the first time what he had done. There was that moment that he recognized it. So the first thing, if you're going to repent, what must you have? A personal awareness of your own sin. The second thing is you have to have genuine sorrow for your sin. Awareness is not enough. Repentance is only possible when, you're gen when genuine sorrow goes along with awareness. And sorrow, the kind of sorrow that's associated with repentance, is not just, I'm sorry I got caught. You have kids? They do something bad, you catch them, and they go into the I'm sorry, crocodile tear kind of deal, and you know they are not repentant at all. What they're sorry about is they're sorry you caught them. And you know that something in the heart really hasn't changed. They don't get it. They don't understand what was really at stake here. They don't understand the character issue associated with it. They're just reacting to the pain of the moment, and they're saying, I'm sorry, Mom, I'll never do that again. And you know in your heart and mind, oh, yes, they will. Because something in the heart hasn't changed. But there's also those times when you, when you confront a child or deal with a child and they respond and you know down in the core of their being there's a contrition, there's a sorrow there that recognizes yeah, this was wrong and I get it, Dad. I get it, Mom. I understand this is something I don't want to be a part of my life. There's genuine sorrow that leads to repentance. Notice what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 10. For the kind of sorrow... God wants us to experience leads us, what? Away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance, so you can have a worldly kind of sorrow that lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Here's the third thing. You want to repent? You've got to have personal awareness. You have to have genuine sorrow. Number three, you have to have honest ownership and confession of your sin. Honest ownership. You know that Josiah could have very easily, when he read the Bible, instead of owning up to his own sinfulness, he could have said, well, God, you know, I'm the way I am because you know my dad. And God, you know I am the way I am because you know the kind of grandfather I had. He was horrible. There was no chance for me to make it, God. And so you can't blame me. And there are a lot of people that go through their life wanting to refuse ownership of their own sinfulness. And dear one, there may be reasons why. Josiah had a lot of reasons why his life could have been one way. Manasseh, a very evil man. Ammon, a very evil king, a very evil father. But nevertheless, God held Josiah responsible for his own sin. There's an old song that says, It's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. 
You know how we like to sing that song? It's him, it's him, it's him, O oh Lord. It's her, it's her, it's her, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. But real repentance only happens when the focus is, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I want you to look with me in 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, this personal ownership of sin and confession that Josiah makes. And also tell the king of Judah, since he sent you to ask God for direction, tell him this. And here's God's comment to him. God's comment on what he read in the book. Because, here's what God said to Josiah. Because you took, what's the next word there? Seriously. Because you took it seriously, Josiah, the doom of judgment I spoke against this place and people. And because you did what? You responded. Now, it wasn't about somebody else. It was about you. Because you responded in humble repentance, tearing your robe in dismay and weeping before me, I'm now taking you, what, seriously. God said, you know, Josiah, there's something about you that really impressed me. When you read the book and you realized what was wrong, you took it seriously. And because you took it seriously, I'm taking you seriously. There's a fourth thing that's necessary for real repentance. And that fourth thing is simply this. You have to receive at some point in time in the process God's forgiveness. Repentance is not complete until you've worked your way from the repentance to the acceptance of forgiveness. When God convicts us of sin, when God points us back to the Bible and has us to lay our lives over the structure of God's Word and to be aware of things in our life that are wrong, whether it be in our behaviors, our habits, our thoughts, our attitudes, whatever it might be, God, again, doesn't do that to leave us in misery. He does that so that we can turn around, we can make a U-turn with our life. And as a part of that process, you can't make a U-turn until you experience forgiveness. Forgiveness is a part of that. Because until you accept God's forgiveness, you're going to live in something the Bible calls condemnation. And condemnation is a horrible guilt It's a feeling of failure. It's a feeling of hopelessness that you can't do anything about what's going on in your life. You realize it's wrong, but you feel condemned. You feel as though God is still angry with you and and mad about what you've done or what you've been. And that never accomplishes anything good. Just like as a parent, you never want your child to wrap up a time of correction going for the rest of his life or her life feeling condemned about what they did. You want to bring them to repentance and then also then send them off as a parent with your forgiveness, right? So that they know, you know, they're forgiven. Mom and dad still loves them. It's not a matter of love. It's just a matter of having adjusted their life for a new direction. And so you can't really experience repentance unless you've come full circle and come to the place of now having experienced. God's forgiveness in your life. God does not want to make you miserable. He might make you miserable for a moment, but He only does that to bring you to the forgiveness that is necessary. See, God takes no pleasure in you wallowing in guilt. No pleasure at all. Let's go back to David for a moment. David didn't know how he'd messed up. Nathan the prophet comes. David confesses his sin. And then notice what happens in Psalm 32, verse 5. This is a response after he's been confronted with his sin and acknowledging it. He said, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not 
cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you did what? You forgave the guilt of my sin. John 3.17. Let me tell you a little bit about John 3.17 very briefly. Most of us know John 3.16, don't we? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, a great promise of salvation to us. But you have to understand that going along with John 3.16 is John 3.17. And John 3.17 says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. See, God's plan for your life is never condemnation. It is always salvation. That should get a little bit of a hallelujah right there. God's plan for your life is never condemnation. God's plan for your life, and even through repentance, is to bring you to salvation. Not just the salvation that gets you into heaven, but the salvation that saves you from the dumb things you can do now, right? Salvation that saves you from that foolish person that you can be day in and day out. So condemnation, not God's plan, salvation. Now, let's wrap all of this up. With Acts 3, 19, one last point I'll give you in a moment that we'll conclude with. I want you to read Acts 3, 19 together with me, and I want you to put your best reading voice on. I want you to read it uh, as, 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 as attentively as you possibly can. So why don't you go ahead and turn to your neighbor right now and say, it's time to read. Let's tell them, tell them it's time to read. Here we go. Everybody ready? Repent then and turn to God so that... Time out right there. Whoop. What have we just been told to do? Repent then, turn to God. Notice those two words, circles, so that. So that means it connects the first part with what we're about to read, correct? Now we can continue. Sorry to interrupt you, okay? So that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What are we talking about in this series? We're talking about being fresh, being made fresh. To be made fresh, the Bible says you can't experience freshness without repentance. And so what we see is Josiah, he set the bar for us. He set the example. He brought freshness to Judah. How did he do that? Well, first of all, he went back to the Bible. When he went back to the Bible, he found himself in need of repentance. And through his repentance, and, and God, he was able to experience forgiveness. And out of that forgiveness came a spirit of freshness in his life. See, it's all linked together. You can't experience the freshness without taking the steps. And there are many of you, that's where you are in your life right now. You're saying, I want a fresh marriage. I want a fresh friendship. I want a fresh approach in my work. I want a fresh relationship with God. And God says, I'm ready. I got all the freshness you need. You believe that God has all the freshness you need? Of course he does. He's the God of freshness, but he's waiting on you and me to take the steps that we need to take. Last point, I'll cover this very, very quickly. You have to then, once you come to that place of repentance, making the U-turn, you have to welcome the right changes in your life. You've got to change. I didn't say you've got change. 
I said, you've got to change. You've got to change. There is no repentance until you recognize, you know what, I've been going this way, and the Bible says I should be going this way. Guess what? I am going to change. I'm going to turn around. See, if you're driving the wrong direction, you can keep driving saying, you know what, I'm going the wrong direction. I'm going the wrong direction. I'm going the wrong direction. Rerouting, 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 rerouting. I'm going the wrong direction. But until you actually slow down and turn the corner and make a U-turn and change your direction, nothing's going to change about your destination. There'll be no change in your destination until you actually turn and say, I'm going to do things differently. I am going to change. And there are people here today that you know the way you're going right now in terms of your thinking, in terms of your behavior, in terms of your attitude. You know right now, if I were to sit down with you and have a conversation, you could say, yep, pastor, you're right, that is wrong, yep, that's wrong, yep, that's wrong, but I don't want to change. Well, guess what? You're not going to experience any freshness in your life until you make the choice to actually change, to turn the corner. Go with me as we wrap this up. We're just about done. 2 Kings 23, verses 1 through 4. Notice the Bible says, the king acted immediately. He did something. He changed. He acted immediately, assembling all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king proceeded to the temple of God, bringing everyone into his tra- in his train, priests and prophets and people, ranging from the famous to the unknown. Then he read out publicly everything written in the book of the covenant that was found in the temple of God. The king stood by the pillar and before God solemnly committed them all to the covenant to follow God believingly and obediently to follow his instructions, heart and soul on what to believe and do to put into practice the entire covenant that was writ- all that was written in the book. The people stood in affirmation. Their commitment was unanimous. Then the king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, his associate priest in the temple centuries to clean house, to get rid of everything in the temple of God that had been made for worshiping Baal and Asherah and the cosmic powers. He had them burned outside Jerusalem and the fields of Kidron and then disposed of the ashes in Bethel. Verses 24 and 25, 2 Kings 23. Josiah scrubbed the place clean and trashed spirit, spirit mediums, sorcerers, domestic gods, carved figures, all the vast accumulation of foul and obscene relics and images on display everywhere you look in Judah and Jerusalem. Josiah did this in obedience to the words of God's revelation written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the temple of God. There was no king to compare with Josiah, neither before nor after, a king who turned in total and repentant obedience to God, mind and heart and strength, following the instructions revealed to and written by Moses. The world would never again see a king like Josiah. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Why does the Bible say the world would never see a king like Josiah? Because he got it. He understood it. He had no reason to understand it because his daddy didn't understand it. His granddaddy didn't understand it. But God reached down throughout history. And in that moment when Josiah at 16 started to seek him, God said, okay, I'm going to show up, buddy, in your life. I'm going to do something amazing. You're going to experience freshness in your life. You're going to bring Judah into a place of freshness. Why? Because I'm going to take you back to the Bible. When you get back to the Bible, I'm going to show you what repentance is all about. And after you've walked through repentance, you're going to experience forgiveness. And after 
after forgiveness, you're going to start making some changes. And once changes start happening, man, watch out because freshness is on the way. Freshness comes. That's one messy board. Bow your heads with me. Right now, where are you going the wrong way? In your life right now, where do you have thoughts, attitudes, behaviors, habits that are taking you in the wrong direction? Ask God. God, show me. And then answer the question, are you willing to repent and are you willing to change? Because if you will, God has freshness for you. Lord, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for speaking to us. I thank you for the great example, Josiah, in the Bible. Thank you that so many lessons for us. And I pray for each one of us today that you will help us to see in our own lives those places where we are going the wrong direction and we need to make a U-turn. I pray that you would help us to realize it deep in our heart and our soul, Lord God, not, not in a spirit of condemnation, but in the spirit of faith that leads to salvation, change. I pray that not one person would leave today without being willing to honestly own up to what it is you're speaking to them in their lives. Thank you for the freshness you promise as we make this choice, this decision, these changes. Thank you that you empower us with the Holy Spirit to make them. In Jesus' name. Hi, I'm Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to thank you for listening to our broadcast of Practical Living. I trust it was a blessing to you, and I trust that you're growing in your spiritual journey. Or perhaps you've never even started your spiritual journey, and today this is your opportunity to make a decision to move forward getting to know Jesus Christ, letting Him have control of your life. See, the Bible says of Jesus that He stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone will hear His voice, you can open that door and let Him in. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, today is the day that you need to do it. In fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you'll pray this prayer sincerely with all your heart, mean it with all your heart, Jesus Christ will come into your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Say these words. Say, Jesus... I know that I am a sinner and I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior of the world, that you died for me and rose again. Just simply tell Jesus, I believe in you. Now open up your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. By faith I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, in Jesus' name. Now if you prayed that prayer with me just then, sincerely, I want you to know something. Jesus heard it and He saved you. You're a new creation in Christ. You get a brand new start in your journey with God. But now you have to grow. You have to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus every day. And so we want to help you get started. And we have some resources available on our website that will do so called New Beginnings. So check them out. And again, I want to thank you for being a part of today's broadcast. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings.